0: You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some
1: point, you gotta decide for yourself who you want. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism?
0: I beg your pardon? Abraham Martyr and my job description Uh, composer, writer, producer. Um, I think that how covers it.
1: Uh, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the program. It's a delight to have you on. Um, I've seen Sound of Metal three times, twice at home and once in the cinema. And I was struck by what a different experience it was in the cinema. Before we go back and talk about the film and your work on it, do you want to say something about why it's important to see a film like Sound of Metal in a cinema or a theater, um, rather than at home?
0: Well, yeah, this film in particular, is one that we spend so many years uh dreaming of this sound experience and uh, me and darius are are just cinema lovers um and that's just the it's the way we'd most like to see a film so every every second of this film um as an audio experience um you know was made was mixed to be experienced in a theater and uh the the amazing thing is that when when all that happened in this world happened um i think we felt like the the headphone experience that so many people were getting at home ended up working um which was which was a beautiful thing because um, it created this kind of uh super intimacy um but the theater experience to experience this film with people and to have that connection uh, this film is so much about connection um, and connecting beyond the internal of yourself and coming out of yourself and uh, so to experience that with people in a theater and have this visceral sound experience that we we uh, mm-hmm. dreamed of was uh, is, is the best way we could imagine for people to to view it mm-hmm. mm-hmm. oh. the sound.
1: The thing that I had heard uh, your director say was that because of the way that the film is constructed and because the way the captioning is constructed, it was important that the film could be seen by hearing and deaf audiences simultaneously in the same space. And they would notice that they reacted differently to different parts of the film. And I've heard reports from a couple of people who've said that they have seen the film um, with deaf audiences who were getting jokes and references and things that none of the hearing audience are picking up on. And I just think that sounds like a wonderfully inclusive experience.
0: It's the best. That's the best. We talked about it a lot. And, uh, you know, that, that was maybe the biggest, um, disappointment was, you know, that the, the captions aren't burnt into the streaming version online. And, uh, I was thinking they would be so, to, for that that cinema experience is all the more important just for that reason alone and uh yeah that's magic i had the same thing in some screenings um i had one screening with a uh, almost only deaf people and uh it was amazing to to see what was what was uh coming through in a different way
1: so, so tell us about your involvement in the film obviously the film began life as a kind of uh as a dramatized documentary focusing on a, on a real life duo, tell me how you became involved and what your earliest role was in the film.
0: Well, uh, Darius martyr, the director is my brother and we, uh, um, we've been talking about film together for as long as, as just about as long as I've been alive. He's 10 years older than me. Um, so he was kind of like a little bit of a, uh, uh, film professor for me brought me into uh film and showed me all the classics and uh um but anyway we've been talking about film for years and I I've always been a, a sort of a songwriter first and a musician and never had dreams of being a screenwriter um but something happened where I had sort of a freak uh, back injury and I had lost all my work my normal kind of get me through uh being a musician work um so um working kind of manual labor jobs and uh i was completely laid out i had no money i was just screwed and uh darius was working on this script and um he kind of uh said at some point you know i have this tight deadline i have to get the script off for this uh um kind of festival um and um do you want to take a trip with me and you can kind of work on music and we can just talk and cause I was, you know, I was not in a good way. And, uh, so we took a trip and we ended up just talking and, um, and talking and talking about this script. And then I just became intoxicated and he kind of invited me in and, um, and then, wow, I don't know, 10 years later, something like that. <laughs> um, it never stopped. Um, did, did he bring you in because
1: you're a musician and what he needed was a musician's ear to the script?
0: I think, no, um, he, um, we're both just, we both just believe so much in simple, genuine kind of authentic stories and storytelling. And I think he knows that through my songwriting, I'm, I'm a storyteller too. Um, even though I never had dreams of kind of, again, being a screenwriter. So the conversations between us and film have always been really, um, fun and natural, and we have very similar tastes. Um, so I think it was more just a coincidence that we came together at that moment, and then the conversations were just natural. So it was kind of like, okay, this makes sense. Um, and that was a joy.
1: And what about the, the early footage that was shot when he was using, I uh, forgive me, I forget the name of the two piece that he was originally working with when he was originally thinking of this as a project?
0: That footage is beautiful. Um, you know, that was started by, uh, Darius's good friend and they, they wrote uh place beyond the pines together and, um, uh, Derek C in France. So Derek started that film and had this initial inspiration. Um, and that footage is just, it's dirty, you know, beautiful film. Um, I can't remember exactly what it is. If it's 15, But it's just super grainy and beautiful and dirty and rough and um, really intoxicating. Um, And that band is just, you know, they're said to be one of the loudest bands ever. Um, uh, The lead singer, she, her hair, you know, they have a stack of, I don't know, 20 amps behind her. And her hair blows from the noise. You know, it's like the kind of joke of metal and rock. Your hair blows, but her hair actually blows. And uh, and she screams bloody murder. They're very very hardcore. Um, and but Derek really experienced some hearing loss when he was a drummer himself, so he got inspired by that. And uh, and then Darius got hooked on this footage and started editing it at some point. And then there was sort of a a, a baton pass. Um, and then me and Darius really took it from being this band. Um, based around this band and then took it in a whole new direction.
1: So because this is, it's kind of, it's a complicated evolution story. I mean, even when I was writing my review some months ago, I remember going back and reading reviews and finding how far back the story went, the Derek France original. Is there when you see the film now, does it owe any substantial debt to that original project or is it a completely different uh,
0: beast? Oh, completely owes a lot. I mean, um, I love Derek as a filmmaker and there's no question. I mean, the seeds of this film. um, I mean, drummer losing his hearing. You can't escape (laughs) that. That's a that's just a. um, A basis that's uh, so undeniable (laughs) for what this film is and that band was so is so authentic um, and the footage was so authentic and so captivating um, that that was always really inspiring to Darius and I and I think we knew that we we had a lot of how we were going to turn that into a story was uh, took a while but those seeds like were inspiring throughout the whole process and without those I mean I don't know you're you're making a different movie
1: so the story is of a musician who loses his hearing which is inspired by two real life musicians for which there was documentary footage shot that was going to be uh, you know involved in a drama and you come on both as a writer and a musician and i talked um uh, to, uh, to Riz and uh, about the character. And he said, it is really important that I play the drums. I, it, I, have to, I, I can't be acting playing the drums. I actually have to be able to play the drums. So that seems to me, therefore, that the whole project is built upwards like a song. That's the root of it. It's coming out of a musical background. Do you want to just maybe expand on that a little bit? Because that feels to me like the root of the film.
0: Yeah. I mean, just the very basis of this one, this one song and this one composition that, that took a lot of twists and turns. But I started working on that years ago and Darius and I started talking about it and talking with musicians about it years ago. And it was always this really intense conversation of like, you know, the actors are going to play this. There's no faking. It's going to be a one shot. And, you know, some things changed a little, but still no faking at all. And uh, one shot, and it's imperative that this first scene is, you know, intoxicating, and you believe in these guys' relationship more than anything. But their relationship is communicated through their music, and that's their bond together. So this music has to be undeniably them. um And that's essential. And there's no, you know, two F's and two F's or buts about it. It's that's what's happening. Um, so <laughs> that. That's easy to say, but that, that took many, <laughs> many years and lots of failure. And oh my God, I, there could be a whole movie just about that song and how how long that took because that song took so many different forms, had different people involved. I worked with this amazing drummer, Harry Cantwell, who's a black metal drummer. Um, and then at some point, I always we always wanted Pharmacon involved margaret um from this band pharmacon she's this brilliant noise musician i don't know if you're aware of her i'm um, not. she's incredible um but she she you know bangs on metal and she has contact mics on like pieces of steel in the floor and she screams into them and they makes these kind of analog loops out of her screams and like vomiting and you know just the most wild dirty but gorgeous and really genius like compositions um so we always wanted her involved and we wanted her to have an influence on the actress um and so we were able to pull her in right at the end uh we already had a composition and then she came in and did her own tweak on it and uh and then really taught olivia in a very short amount of time how to scream and loop live on stage with the guitar um which is a really hard thing to do. I mean, I don't know that I could have done what Olivia did with her looping live on stage, even though I'm a musician. It was like she was impeccable. Um, yeah. Okay. So is
1: Hearing those stories reminds me of the stories of what Mercedes McCambridge went through to do the demon voice on on The Exorcist. Oh wow! And she talks about like literally turning herself inside out to produce the the sound that you hear as uh, as the voice of Reagan. And she says it was the it was the most intense acting she ever did. And all you're getting is the voice, but but what a voice it is! Wow. Incredible. Do you have loads and loads of early demo versions of the songs? Are there? Can you? Is there an evolution of that stuff? yeah I, mean, I imagine that you okay
0: yeah <laughs> do you go back and listen to them i've listened to them a bit um how are they you know i i kind of i can kind of it depends on the day but i i, I haven't listened that much but I, when i have i can kind of respect like the different some parts i'm like oh man i really loved that that was cool i wish that could have stuck in there um and then other stuff i'm like oh god thank god thank god i got past that moment
1: In terms of, OK, so you now have that sort of that route for the story and for the character. What are then the key beats of what happens afterwards in terms of, uh, of your input? Because, again, it's this strange thing that it is a film about music that is also about the absence of hearing and the way in which people hear things differently. Mm-hmm. And I I think and I mean this with the greatest respect. It, if it had gone wrong i think it would have it's the kind of film that would have failed spectacularly i think it's brilliant oh yeah but i think it's it's a very very thin line between getting it right and getting it wrong and i wonder whether that worried you at all oh my god
0: yeah because i cared way too much about this film for a long time and and <laughs> at the same time i i'm not the director of the film the director is my brother so it's nice that i can shout in his ear a lot but at the same time I, we had the same worries though you know, we were on the same page. It was always, how the hell are we going to pull off? How is this actor going to be this (laughs) playing the drums and then losing his hearing as well and fluent in sign. Um, but, but more than that, you know, this, this sound experience and how you portray that. And then this whole issue of score and music, you know, is this a, it's not really a music film. This is a, sound experience and a simple story um, and you can't get in the way of the point of the film, this intimacy um, and this being stuck in yourself and what that is to be stuck in your your existence and the internal um, and we wanted that to be a really unique, unique experience and so as a musician that was very tricky um, you know, I love big audacious scores and i was fighting for a long time not to have a score for the film um and we had a big score we had a you know a very different score at one point um that we right before going off to some festival um we completely removed the score completely and rewrote it in like five days and then after that worked on it for a good a long period of time but it it became about working with the sound design and working. What kind? Yeah.
1: What kind of score was it that you had? I can't imagine the film with a different. I mean, you said it's like a like a large. You know an orchestral score or a melodic score? What kind of score was it that you had and then ditched?
0: We tried a lot of things. I started off um, by making these big kind of feedbacking um, pieces and, you know, working a lot with, uh, you know, electronic bows with e bows and baritone guitars and doing these kind of big vibrational feedbacking pieces. And then we ended up taking some of the feedback from the concert and the film and transposing it and kind of bringing that in as score and adding some like low elements to it. Um, but it became way too bold. You know, it was, it was kind of showing itself. So you were having these moments where you're seeing Ruben, you know, that would be sort of traditional scoring moments. And this film is so gentle, you know, these moments that you just have to be with a person, um, and not be distracted and not be told to feel. Um, and the score was blowing. It was blowing the film. So just like you're saying, I mean, it was, I think it was destroying the film. So We, we, you know, we took it all out. And what are the key elements
1: of what you ended up using? What were the key generational elements that produced the sounds that we hear?
0: Well, uh, one that was always really inspiring to me was the crystal Bechet. Um, and that's an incredibly unique instrument that, uh, um, Can you describe what it is and how it works? Yeah. It's these pieces of, um, it's like a piano, but the keys are, are, are crystal glass, uh, and they're attached to these pieces of steel. Um, and that those, uh, are also attached to these aluminum, big aluminum, uh, cones. They're really beautiful instruments, but people yep. wet their fingers to play it. And, uh, Nicola Becker, who, who I, uh, co-compose a score with and who's the sound designer, he plays this instrument. A lot and um so he made these big long strands of this you know it it always reminded me of th- sort of the inner ear it's this super vibrational it can be angelic and uh have this crazy high end that's almost like uh tinnitus like um and yeah. then it can be a oh, crazy vibrational and guttural um so he would make these big long strands of just a note and um and i would take all these pieces and i started kind of morphing them into compositions and then adding i play a lot of uh resophonic guitar so like the steel guitar um and i was using an ebo as well and then doing the same thing transposing those strands with his um and then adding all sorts of crazy instruments like uh Nicola also had like a drum, like a big bass drum that was hanging on a spring Um, and all sorts of wacky. I did a lot with, you know, like wind sounds and uh, breath and um, all sorts of kind of sounds of the body Um, and then just really working a lot with the sound design. So you never really know exactly if it's an instrument or if it's sound design. Um, but what was most important is that you start very internal. And then at a certain point when he's in the deaf community, that score starts to come out of the body a bit and merge with the natural elements and the wind and to kind of show that he's coming out of himself.
1: You say Ebo by which I presume you mean something like a gizmo. Can you just explain what that is again? If a listener doesn't know what an Ebo is.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an electronic bow and it has sort of a, I won't be able to describe it, um correctly but it's this thing yeah um
1: it's like a rotating wheel that that bows the string continuously yeah yeah
0: yeah. so you can make a guitar string kind of sound almost like a violin um and when you use these instruments that have a lot of bass it's it could create quite a menacing sound um but i'm i'm infatuated with them and so is nicola so he uses them on the piano and on the crystal bachet and i use them on all sorts of things too
1: I remember struggling for ages to get hold of a copy of uh, Consequences by Godly and Cream, which I think was one of the first albums that, because they, you know, they worked on the development of the Gizmo. Mm. And, and the whole album was basically just a triple album advert for Look What You Can Do When awesome. You Can Bow Strings.
0: <laughs> I'm in. That's the best. I think that's one of the best inventions ever.
1: Ready to pop the question? So when you have all those sounds then put together, what's interesting is you say, you know, you had this sort of larger wall of sound and that then came away as it came away and you started replacing with what sounds like a a sparser sound. And you're talking about working very closely with the sound design. Mm -hmm. Do you get to a point where music and sound design just become part of the same thing or are they always completely separate entities?
0: No, I think they were very much part of the same thing. Um, and that's what that's what took a while to, to get to um, there was one scene in particular oh my god it's i think it's the drive drive north um after he, after ruben loses his hearing and they they're driving to the deaf community there's this sort of montage and the the sound design and it's really brilliant and it's also super you know it's all in deaf perspective so it's really low and it's different frequencies of low. Um, but the, that was a real struggle and that took a long time to figure out how to, um, how to merge that score and, uh, and not get in the way. Um, but then it became about, you know, listening for when is the wind coming in and when the wind's coming in, then you can play with bringing in some higher elements and, uh, but you're really sticking to keeping the audience in this perspective.
1: Were there other scores that you looked to in terms of, uh, of inspiration? Were there other film musicians that you looked back to, to draw inspiration from? Or did it largely come from what you've been doing anyway, working as a musician?
0: I think there was people that I was, you know, that I've always been really inspired by and and was inspired by, and some of those things I, I tried and made compositions that ended up being too kind of audacious for the film. So, you know, there's people I love, uh, you know, that obvious kind of Johnny Greenwoods and Mika Levy and, you know, these kind of people, uh, but and some of the sounds, you know, there, there's some things that, you know, even with the Ebo, you know, uh, Johnny Greenwood, Greenwood's always been really inspiring to me. So, uh, some of those high elements, um, that I played with, with the Ebo, I'm sure are somehow inspired um through him but really when it comes down to it it's about this unique language that the that we worked on for so long with the film and and sticking to something that you know is maybe less impressive in a way musically but uh but when you really sit with it you know we have this score out and uh i'm really i'm really proud of it cuz as it stands alone it's uh it's you know an experience unlike most um you're really meant to feel it in your body and it's a very meditative experience. So, um, yeah.
1: How does it sound to you listening to it away from the film? I mean, you mentioned Mika Levy. I was listening to Mika Levy's Monos score just recently mm. and, um, you know, which has huge amounts of space in it. And a lot of it almost sounds like kind of submarine sonar. Yeah. And I love the sound of that. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of ambient soundtrack going right back to Louie and BB Barron and forbidden planet. And how does it, sound to you hearing that uh, score away from the film hearing it in isolation
0: well what what i really worked on with the score was um developing some of the emotionality and you know you're going through the same you're taking through the same story but you're you're almost staying in scenes viewing scenes from a slightly different angle and there's more emotionality i think um in the score on the soundtrack a lot more than there is in the film um so i played i really enjoyed playing with that and really living into ruben's world further um and you know it's some of the things that you wouldn't have given way to in the film um some of the high elements um melodically i i really enjoyed working um on myself and then also including evelyn glennie um, and some of her amazing sounds, um, which really helped bring a whole new presence as well. Um, so yeah, I really, I think it's a completely different. It recalls the sonics of the film, but I think it's a completely new experience, and that's what I was really most hoping for.
1: Can you, I mean, can you pick a couple of cues that are p- that particularly are favorites of yours, and tell us something about why you like why you like them?
0: Um, I really love metal that's something that there was no cochlear implant based score in the film um and that's something i always wanted to do um but it, it just it was again one of those things where you didn't need extra um but that that piece uh was was a pleasure to work on and basically took made all this music and then morphed it um i worked with uh, carolina santana who was a big in the also working in the sound team and she morphed all all, all these pieces of uh ebo um into cochlear implant strands of implant and by the end of the piece you know you're on this uh paris street walking with ruben is the idea and as the piece goes along the cochlear implant effect begins to close in on the music and push it all together so um it's a kind of uh it, i was hoping for it to be kind of brutal but beautiful Um, And it's definitely a piece that you don't get in the film that's meant to be a sort of an extra
1: What was the most difficult sound to achieve? eh? What was the thing that gave you the most
0: pause? I mean, the most difficult thing overall is to make an album that's mostly in deaf perspective. Um, it's an incredibly challenging thing. And if you listen on the wrong system, you're, you can be like, uh, is there music on? What's happening? Um, so that was really tough at certain points to be working, and kind of like, oh, my God, I could just throw some violin in here and call it a day, you know, just to do something that's a bit, easier um it's not an easy album um so that was the most difficult thing there was it just a joy to make something that felt really in keeping with the film and that felt um kind of really fresh to me um but but not easy
1: (laughs) okay tell me some of your favorite soundtrack albums
0: oh favorite soundtrack albums oh man i always loved sling blade Daniel Lanois on Sling Blade, um, big Daniel Lanois fan. Um, you know, again, Johnny Greenwood. Uh, whether it's the Master, um, Phantom Thread, um, and then
1: I mean, Phantom Thread is interesting because it's kind of Richard Addinsell, which is kind of not what you'd expect from Johnny Greenwood, but it's so. I did a, I introduced a live performance of it with Johnny and, um, oh, wow. and an, yeah, and watching the film. Play, you know, performed with a live orchestra is, not least because there's so much music in mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's quite remarkable that, that how much, just the sheer length of music that's in that film. But I know he talked about, you know, looking towards Richard Adams, which, of course, because of the stuff that he'd done before, which was a lot more kind of at the experimental edge. It was, I thought, there was something really gorgeous about his embracing of that. I love, I love that score. I think that score's wonderful. I completely
0: agree. He took. This classic, you know, when I first was watching the film, I was like, wow, this is Johnny Greenwood. Um, and was feeling a bit judgy. I was like, what, what is this? You know? And then as I came back to it and as the film progressed, I was like, oh, this is, this is gorgeous. This is just what you'd want, you know, this classic score from Johnny Greenwood. Um, so, yeah, I think that's gorgeous as well. And
1: mm. you mentioned the Mika Levy scores. You're a big fan of hers, I take it.
0: Yeah, I really, I love her, love her sounds and, um, you know, under the skin was just a kind of, that was, that almost feels like she made a score and then told the filmmaker to make a film, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, <laughs> no, no disrespect amazing filmmaker. And I love, you love the film, but, uh, it's just such a bold score and I love how big and open it is, but all, you know, it's just, uh, it's pretty, pretty unique. Um,
1: I think the main love theme from that score is I think it's called Love, which is really remarkable. I do a, a soundtrack music show on the radio, and we played that. It was a lunchtime. We got people writing in saying, "Really, not now? Like, not, not, not in the middle of the <laughs> right. day? It's just yeah. was freaking people out yeah. around the country." Yeah. But I love that. I just I love the sounds on that that's cool because they are genuinely otherworldly Mm -hmm. and but also really kind of personal and they feel very emotional and i think that's the thing that you're talking about in that you're creating a soundscape but it has there's the level of emotion that you can have in it whether it's in the film or whether it's in the standalone score that's the thing that you you're having to balance yeah correctly is how much the score leads you emotionally is that correct yeah Uh,
0: yeah i mean it was always a dance with the uh the emotionality is always first even if it's not like um over the top it's not about weeping your eyes out but uh um always following the emotionality and the story and and in the inner and and having leaving room for space espe- especially in this film and the um the credit song um i wrote the credit song uh, green in the film and that was a whole another piece that was all about you know <laughs> leaving space and staying with this uh this sound language of deaf perspective and uh you know at all so many moments you're like oh could i just put in this guitar and do this and no you have to stay you have to stay with the language
1: what are you most proud of about the film since it's been so well received and you know both by critics and audiences and of course um at award ceremonies what are you most proud of about it
0: um i think i'm most proud Um, I'm, I'm most proud that the reaction has come through in this time in which so many people have been so alone and feeling, I think feeling really lost with either losing their jobs or being sick or knowing people are sick and really have to redefine their lives and question their lives completely. And, um, I've had so many reactions from people who I think viewed it in this crazy, weird moment, hard moment, and felt, I got the sense there was some feeling of healing um, and some feeling of um, feeling an understanding um, of just the magical, hard nature of life. And I think that's all me and Darius who always wanted to communicate that, just that. And so it's so, so strange that this film would come along in this time and, but such a blessing that people can, uh, have that reaction when they do.
1: How was lockdown for you? Because obviously the film was finished by 2019, wasn't it? So it all, you know, all done and dusted long before this happened. How, how have you found lockdown?
0: Um, oh, incredibly hard. I mean, um, Me and my family, we totally uprooted and moved and, um, you know, we're staying at people's places and I was working on the score in that time kind of in basements and (laughs) moving around and, uh, trying to juggle, uh, parenting and, and working and just keeping some kind of sanity somehow, um, with all these unknowns. Um, so like like so many people i think it was incredibly hard um and and some of the some of the film the response to the film was really um helpful (laughs) once the film came out because it it created this energy this movement and connection to other people which is so hard to come by um yeah.
1: I'm talking to you and I'm looking at you on Zoom, and I can see behind you there are two guitars. And it looks like one of them, it looks like there's a strat to one side. I can only see the neck. Is that a strat?
0: That is a, uh, a Fender baritone, kind of like a, a sort of bass guitar. It's like a rare kind of baritone Fender. Can you show
1: it to me? Because I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah, I think it was like. A, it's six strings?
0: It's six strings. Um, so yeah. you can create like a super. Um, you know a very bassy string here um but you can create really um i think like the cure um use that rick Danko from the band use that and it's like a you know just creates the most amazing if you just play like a d chord it just sounds like a yeah. huge full <laughs> d chord and oh and, it,
1: and the body's shaped like a like a jazz or a jaguar or something like it's that a, with that kind of angular slightly yeah it's a jaguar
0: it. yeah
1: jaguar okay fine and what's the the other one to on the right which i can't make out at all oh that's one i used
0: a bunch for the score it's just, uh,
1: oh fine yeah, yeah it's a dobro yeah. okay beautiful yeah. i love to see a man surrounded by guitars i think it's a very it's a very <laughs> it shows a very healthy mind i only have a double bass and it's just it oh, something. oh you kidding come- me?
0: that's the best you win you won
1: yeah. Well, you see this, you know, it's like what you call, what you call somebody who hangs around with musicians, a bassist. And that's, <laughs> that's my role in all of this. <laughs> Listen, it's been lovely speaking to you. Congratulations on the film. Congratulations on, uh, on the score. What are you doing now? What are you up to next?
0: I'm working on a solo album right now. Um, just kind of in the vein of uh, my song green from the film. It's all, you know, lyrical, um, songs. So that's kind of my, my first love. And that's, uh, working on a bunch of these songs for a while so
1: when will we when will we hear that hey eh?
0: hopefully very soon i'm uh, I, I i think i'll release kind of single at a time i think so hopefully i'll have one out very soon okay yeah
1: well if you come to the uk with it then please come and see us in person when all this is uh, hopefully behind us oh i'd love to and uh, And bring the baritone guitar, because I'd love to see that in the flesh. That that looks really something. Will do. Thank you so much. Thanks ever so much. Good to speak to you. Stay well.
0: You too. Bye.
1: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from QQQ